I uh, can't wait to be down at Torrance Beach today as we get to baptize 20 people and, uh, and maybe some more as uh, maybe the Lord would lead you today to get baptized. As Rob said, baptism is simply an outward expression of an inward reality, that if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, by what he did on the cross and in the empty tomb, uh, and you want to proclaim that you are united to Jesus by faith, you can do that through baptism. You know, going into the water, it's saying, I've died with Jesus, and coming up out of the water, you're saying, I've been raised with him too. And it's just a beautiful thing. So let's fill up the beach today with support of those who will be baptized, and, but we also have a wonderful morning ahead of us as we take a look at Hebrews chapter 3. So please turn in your Bible there to Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to read the section of scripture that we'll consider this morning, and then we'll get right into it. So uh, here are the words of God, Hebrews 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and the power of your word to transform our hearts and our minds. Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive all that you want us to receive today, especially that we would consider you, Jesus, our high priest, our apostle. You are the one we want to confess today. And Jesus, we look to you and fix our eyes on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, as we begin Hebrews chapter 3 today, I want you to notice the first word of this chapter. It's a familiar word to us in the Bible, and it's the word, therefore, which means that a new point is going to be made that will build upon what we've already heard so far in the book of Hebrews. And and. You know, you likely already know this, but I should let you know that Hebrews, which was originally written in the first century, we don't know the author, uh, but, but when it was originally written, it did not contain chapter and verse numbers. You know, the writer didn't have a little tiny quill with a little bit of ink and wrote ones, twos, and threes before each sentence. The, the chapter and verse numbers that we see in our Bibles were added later as it was being compiled, and those are reference numbers simply for us to be able to see the different section breaks, the different ideas that are building in, and it helps us as we navigate our way through the Bible. But what I want to point out this morning is that out of the 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews, except for the first and the last chapter, every chapter begins with a transitional word. A word like therefore, or now, or for since. In my Bible, I'm reading from the ESV, chapter 2 says therefore, chapter 3 says therefore, 
uh, verse 7 of chapter 3 says, therefore. Chapter 4, therefore. Chapter 6, therefore. Now, okay, you get the point. And why is this? Why is this word used? Well, the reason is, is because the book of Hebrews is a well-crafted argument for the superiority of Jesus Christ. Meaning that as we continue going through this book, points are going to be built upon themselves to show with greater detail that Jesus is worthy of all glory, all honor, and all praise for who he is and for what he has done. This book is entirely about Jesus, and it is a case that is being built about why we should worship him. Therefore, before we consider this section we're going to look at today, I, I want us to think about what we've heard in the book of Hebrews so far. So far, we've seen that Jesus is better than the prophets. Now, the prophets were great. You know, they spoke the oracles of God, but Jesus is better because in these last days, God has spoken to us by his very own son. And so far, we've seen that Jesus is better than the angels, and angels are awesome. Nothing wrong with angels. They serve God and they carry out God's plans and his purposes upon the earth, helping humanity. But there is only one who could carry out the plan and the purpose of God for salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. Only Jesus could accomplish our salvation, and he did that when he died on a cross and when he rose from that empty tomb. And then finally, last week, we saw that Jesus was made for a little while lower than the angels. This didn't mean that Jesus became less than angels. We've seen already, Jesus is better than angels. But Jesus took on human flesh, and he dwelt here among us on the earth. And that should just blow our minds, that God became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. It's, it's mind-blowing. And why did Jesus become a human being? Well, chapter 2 told us that he did so so that he could help us. He could help us with that big problem that we have. You know what problem I'm talking about, right? It's that problem we have with sin. And, and that problem we have that sin leads to, which is death. And that problem we have with temptation as we are constantly being drawn away from God, Jesus came as a human being, suffered and died on a cross to redeem us of sin and to rise from the dead, to conquer death, and then to become a sympathetic high priest who could help us in temptation. That's why Jesus came, to help us with those problems we have. Therefore, when Jesus became a human being, chapter 2 said he unashamedly calls us now his brothers and his sisters. It's as if Jesus stands among us. And just kind of picture this. Jesus standing even here among us right now with his arms stretched around us all and looking to the Father, he says, hey, Dad, I am your son and here are all my siblings. These are your children that you have adopted, that I have brought to you because of what I did to accomplish the plan and the purpose of salvation when I died on a cross and when I rose from the dead. These are your children now. Those who come to me and believe in me, 
those who turn from their sins and come to faith in Christ, they're children of God. And, and the question this morning is, is that you? Has his spirit borne witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Because this is Jesus' crowning achievement. He accomplished so great of a salvation for us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are if we've believed upon Jesus. And that's how the writer of Hebrews is now going to address us in verse 1. He says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So a case, right, has already been made for Jesus being far more superior than prophets and angels. And the writer is now telling us as holy brothers and sisters in Christ to consider our position in Jesus. We're going to talk more about Jesus as we make our way through this message. But first, we want to consider who we are in Christ. And I want to remind you that as this letter was written, there was an original audience. There's original people who had received it, and that was first century Jewish Christians. And the writer saw during that time that there was a growing temptation among Jewish Christians to revert back to the law of Moses, to leave behind this great offer of the grace of God, to neglect this salvation because some were desiring to turn back to the old covenant with Moses because the new covenant with Jesus was still very new. (laughs) The new covenant in the first century was new and, and the gospel was breaking into old, established religious traditions. And this was shaking things up, and there was persecution that was on the rise because of this. And so these Jewish believers were like, well, I'm not so sure I want to go with this new thing that's going to sort of stir things up, and I'm going to get persecuted before because of it. So they might just sort of stick with Moses. They might just stay in the Old Covenant with all the traditions and all the sacrifices, and just, I'm good don't, don't want Jesus. I'll, I'm, I'm good with Moses. And therefore, the writer wants to remind the Hebrews of the holy calling that we have in Christ. You know, this letter is written to us as well. And for you, the temptation most likely is not that you would turn to the law of Moses. I don't think anyone here is looking to, you know, go back to animal sacrifices, that some of you are really looking to, you know, parse out all of the legal ceremonies uh, of the old covenants. I don't think anyone's tempted, but there are many things, are there not, in our lives that we might revert back to, places we might go that, that... have us leave Jesus and his offer of salvation behind. And this is what the book reminds us of. And the reminder of chapter two was, there's nothing better than being a child of God. And there's no one else who can make you a child of God except Jesus Christ. We are God's holy children because we've been set apart. Jesus made us holy when he redeemed us on the cross. He suffered in our place, for our sin, for our shame, and for our death. His precious blood 
was shed on a cross to cleanse us and to make us holy. We are now sanctified in Christ through belief in Him. We're made holy. And the sanctifier and the sanctified all have one source. We have now God as our heavenly Father and Jesus as our brother. We can now pray like this. Jesus taught us to pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And you can pray that way because you're God's holy child. Now, if you've been united to Jesus in this way, if you've been united to him through faith, you are a brother in Christ. You are a sister in Christ. But it also says that we share in a heavenly calling. This calling that the writer speaks about is the salvation we have in Jesus. Now, our salvation is a heavenly calling. It's a heavenly calling because the invitation has come from heaven, and it's a heavenly calling because the invitation is for us to go to heaven. And in case you don't quite know what I speak of when I speak about heaven, the Bible speaks of this eternal and glorious kingdom that God reigns and rules over. It's the place where God dwells, a place called heaven. It's the place where we go when we die, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so if heaven is the place where God dwells, then that's where the calling comes from. And how amazing is it that this calling has come from heaven, from Jesus? Because God... I think, I think we got, uh, you're, we're good. I'm like, I'm hearing some scripture being read over there. Uh, <laughs> Jesus came from heaven, right? But when he came, what did he call us to? He, he invited us into his father's kingdom. He said, you can come to heaven with me. I'm going to go and prepare a place so that when I go, when you die, you can come and be with me there. And Jesus has invited everyone into God's kingdom. Jesus has invited you today to heaven. Do you want it? Do you want to be there? Amen. And yet, sadly, not all have received this heavenly calling. Because some people don't consider Jesus as the only way to heaven. See, Jesus made very exclusive claims. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot come into my kingdom unless you come through me. The Father said, no one's getting through unless you go through my Son. And so Jesus is the only way to heaven. And a great sobering question is this. If you can have heaven in all that you imagine it to be, in all of its glory and splendor, just Obviously, it's going to be so much better than this place. And if you could have heaven, just whatever that picture you have in your mind, but if Jesus was not there, would you still want to be there? No. For someone who truly understands what heaven's all about, which is it's being in the presence of our holy God, you wouldn't want heaven without having Jesus. And so some people want heaven, but they don't want Jesus. I tell you, you can't have heaven unless you have Jesus. And so Jesus is the way. 
And this is our position, and this is our calling, and this is the writer telling us, do you know who you are in Christ? And if you do, then have you done this? Have you considered Jesus? And and I love those next words, consider Jesus. In fact, I think the whole book of Hebrews could be summed up in those two words, consider Jesus. That's what the title of my message is today. But you see, when we use that word consider, we don't use it like the writer of Hebrews does. If we consider something, it might mean that we, you know, give it a half-hearted look. We use it like this, you know, I'm, I'm considering going to the beach today. You know, but if the weather's bad or if something better comes up, I, I might stay back. We use consider when we've got options, And if one option sounds better than the other, then we'll likely choose the better option. But the writer of Hebrews hopes that you don't just give Jesus this sort of half-hearted look to consider him as one option among many. (laughs) Well, you know, I might take Jesus up on this offer of salvation. That's unless something better comes along. (laughs) And the whole point of the book of Hebrews is there's nothing better that's going to come along because Jesus is the best. Jesus is superior, far more superior than everything and anything. And so to consider Jesus is to consider that he is your everything and to turn him in every which way, to look at all of who he is, to look at all of what he has done, to, to consider something that means to deeply examine, deeply investigate his claims and his person, that with your mind and your heart and your soul, you're constantly looking at the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ with all of your life. That's what it means to consider Jesus. Now, you know, you, you might consider coming to the beach today to watch baptisms. But if you decide not to come to Torrance Beach today for whatever reason, maybe you don't like sand, you know, maybe you've got a big basket of laundry to fold at home, maybe you didn't realize today was baptisms and, you know, you had a prior commitment and so you can't, you can't come down to the beach. Personally, I can't, I can't think of a better way to spend my afternoon than to watch my brothers and sisters in Christ get baptized. But look, if you consider coming to the beach and then you don't come, I'll say you're missing out, but but there's no judgment. It's not the end of your life or anything like that. However, to consider Jesus and to think of Jesus as though he's an option for what to do on the weekends... To consider Jesus and, and, you know, you might visit him unless something better comes up. (laughs) To consider Jesus means he wants your entire life. He doesn't want some half-hearted glance. And let's just say you're trying out this whole church thing for a little season, and and you're kind of thinking to Right now in this moment, you're like, easy goes it, preacher. You know, I'm not really considering making Jesus my everything because, well, you know, what if I decide I want to devote the focus of my life to something else? And I don't want Jesus getting in the way of that. Because I know, or at least you know something about the claims of Jesus. He demands 
all of you. Come, follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. You don't just sit back and, hmm, consider that. To consider that means I'm all in. See, Jesus demands our full attention and our full loyalty. That's what the writer of Hebrews means when he says, consider Jesus. And so let's read now verse 1 again. In light of that, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So the writer now provides two ways that we can consider Jesus by giving us two positions that he holds. First, Jesus is the apostle of our confession. And second, Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Now, these titles would have definitely resonated with a first century Jewish person more than it probably resonates with a bunch of Gentiles here living in 2023. But if we're students of God's word, and if we've considered Jesus, who himself was a Jew, by the way, whose life and ministry took place in Israel during the first century, then we can understand that Jesus is our apostle, and he is our high priest, and that is our confession. First, consider Jesus the apostle. And and look, this might throw you a little bit because you're probably used to hearing that word apostle in reference to those disciples of Jesus, you know, the the 12 apostles. And that word is used to refer to those men, but it's also used to refer to Jesus. In fact, this is the only verse in the Bible that calls Jesus the apostle, but that is what he is. Apostle is, it's a transliterated word from the Greek word apostolos. There's just like no English word to translate from apostolos, so they just said apostle. But a word that is very close to what that means is our word ambassador. An ambassador is someone who is sent with a message from one place to another, and they represent the place from which they were sent. An apostle simply means one who is sent with a message. Now, brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, where did Jesus the apostle of our confession come from? Jesus came from heaven. And he came with a message about the kingdom of God. Jesus came from heaven to earth to represent that place. And he now invites us, he calls us into that heavenly calling. Jesus is the apostle of heaven. He is the first and the highest of all apostles. And then second, let's consider how Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is uh, our high priest, and we're going to dive into this a lot in the book of Hebrews. So there's more to come on this, but the Jews knew exactly what the role of high priest played in their religious lives. The Jewish high priest was a mediator between God and the people of Israel. And there's a really important day on the calendar of the high priest that was called the Day of Atonement. When one day out of the year, the high priest would enter into the tabernacle or enter into the temple and enter to that place that was called the Holy of Holies, where God's glory and presence dwelled, and he would go in to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. 
And this had to be done again and again, year after year, to mediate a holy God to sinful people. You should read about what the high priest had to do. Get this. He had a rope tied around his leg and bells on it because if he went in and died in the presence of God, you know what they'd have to do? You know, you couldn't just go in and pull him out. You had to (laughs) drag him out with the rope. That's how the Hebrews approached Jesus, uh, approached God. But now Jesus is our high priest. He's our sympathetic high priest who has become much better of a high priest because he offered once and for all a sacrifice for sin. And we know what that sacrifice was. It was his own blood. And he didn't shed that blood within an earthly tent. That blood was shed behind the veil in the true holy of holies, the one in heaven. Jesus is our high priest. We're going to learn so much more about what that means in the book of Hebrews. So get ready. Now, I've spent a good portion of our time on verse 1, and the reason for this is because this is our confession. And that word confession means that this is what we say about Jesus. And so if you say about Jesus what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus... Because the writer of Hebrews, what he says about Jesus is what God has said about Jesus. And so if you say with God that Jesus is your apostle and high priest, then you're a child of God and you have a heavenly calling. But to say something else about Jesus is to come up short of salvation. And so the next point, which is a a point that the writer of Hebrews is really trying to get across is... Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Moses, as we're going to see here, because Jesus brought the true tabernacle, the true holy of holies. Jesus brought us true access to heaven. Moses was just a servant of me. We're going to see more of what this means. So let's read uh, verses 1 and 2 together. It says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. Now, before the writer of Hebrews is going to get into comparing Jesus to Moses and to show how much better Jesus is than Moses, he wants to make sure that no one feels like Moses is being dissed on here. You know, he's not trying to make the prophets seem bad. They're good. He's not trying to make angels seem worthless. They're awesome. He's not trying to make Moses out to be some nobody. He was faithful in God's house. But what the writer is trying to do, and I would say he's doing a really good job at it, is that he's showing that Jesus is better. He's better in his person. He's better in his position. And for something to be better, it doesn't mean that what is lesser has no value. Moses, although he is lesser than Jesus, still brought value to the plans and the purposes of God. It's just that Jesus is better. 
Verse 2 says that Moses was faithful in all God's house. And if you've been reading through the Bible in six months, then you've probably read through Exodus and Numbers, and you've seen the faithfulness of Moses. We know Moses was not a perfect guy, but he was faithful in God's house. And, and consider this, and, and I believe that the writer of Hebrews is drawing from a verse out of Numbers chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. Look at what God says about Moses here. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So he's, he's saying here, you know, I speak to prophets and through prophets, but, but Moses was just not any prophet. Look at verse 7. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. For, I, for with him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? If you go read Numbers chapter 12, you'll see why God said that. It's because Miriam and Aaron were trying to oppose Moses and uh, didn't go so great for them. <laughs> it's interesting. You should check it out. Numbers 12. Now, Moses was God's man. He had an access to God like no other person had. Moses was God's faithful servant. He was that Hebrew boy that got thrown into a basket and sent out into the Nile because there was an Egyptian infanticide. And then in a miraculous turning of events, the Pharaoh's daughter pulls the baby out and then gives it back to the mom. Pretty amazing. Moses, though, grew up as an adopted son of Egyptian royalty, but all the while he identified as a Hebrew. And one day, as the Hebrew slaves were working hard for the Egyptians, Moses saw that there was an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew slaves, and he stepped in, and he killed the Egyptian. And this sent Moses on a run until God called Moses to go back to Egypt to redeem the children of Israel out of slavery. So Moses was a sent one. He was an ambassador of God. You could say in the Old Testament, Moses was an apostle of God. He led the people through the Red Sea. He led a generation in the wilderness. He received the law of God on Mount Sinai. He set up the tabernacle, the priesthood, and the sacrifices. He was an apostle and a priest to the Jewish people. Now, now if you were here during the first set of worship, the second song that we sang was a song that was called Egypt. As we sang those words, were you guys thinking about Moses or were you thinking about Jesus? But what's interesting is everything that was in that song was referring to things that Moses did. And yet Moses was only a type, a picture of what Jesus would actually bring. When Jesus rose from the dead, he went through all of Moses and the prophets testifying to the places where he was spoken about. Everything that Moses did, everything that Moses was, everything that Moses said was meant to point us to what Jesus would be for us. He was just a servant speaking about the coming of Christ. But Moses at times came up short of that. You guys know that Moses didn't enter the promised land, right? Do you know why he didn't enter the promised land? Because he messed up God's really good gospel picture when he struck that rock twice. Go look into it. It's amazing. 
But Moses didn't enter the promised land. And the reason I believe why is, is this, is because the promised land represents heaven. The promised land is the picture of us going to heaven. But the law, which is represented by Moses, cannot take you to heaven. There's only one who can take you to heaven. And do you know who took the people of Israel into the promised land? Do you remember his name? Joshua. What does that sound like? Yeshua. Only Jesus can take you into the promised land. Moses can't. And so Moses was, faith, was faithful in God's house, but Jesus is better, and God has a new representative, one who is much higher in faithfulness and honor, and it is Jesus. There's a lot to say about how Jesus and Moses are similar. They both were appointed by God to res- represent people to a holy God. Jesus and Moses are similar in their faithfulness as mediators, They were both prophets, they both entertained angels, they were both messengers, they were both priests, they both were leaders of God's people, but in another sense, Jesus and Moses aren't even close, aren't even worthy of comparison. That is what we read in verse 3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Look, those words would have stood off the pages to the Hebrews. You likely have no problem with seeing Jesus as better than Moses. But this was and still is today very hard for Jewish people to receive. And and again, you'll have to read the Old Testament Bible to see why that is. But now in verses 3 through 6, the writer of Hebrews is now going to make a case for why Jesus is counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Read these verses with me, 3 to the end. It says, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So I love how this picture is given to, compl- to compare the glory of Moses in Jesus. He wants us to imagine a house. So, so every house is built by someone. So imagine just the best house. Maybe it's your house or maybe it's one that you covet. You know, the one when you're driving down the street and you're like, I wish I had that house. They've got a cool door. Their trim is awesome. You know, their colors. My house is like puke yellow and that house is beautiful white and black. Right? I'm just kidding. Um, but picture a house, the best house you can imagine. And as you drive around the peninsula, around the South Bay this week, you're going to think, wow, how beautiful are those homes? But we realize that each one of those houses are designed and built by someone. I was just recently at my friend Michael's house. He's here this morning. He has a beautiful house. I was in his backyard, and I was looking at the house, and I was like, wow, how long have you lived here? He says, well, about seven, eight years ago, I built this house. I was like, wow. 
I wasn't like, wow, this house is so nice. My immediate reaction is, you built this house. Like, I don't even know where to start with that. This house is awesome, and you built it. And we kind of have it backwards in our culture, don't we? Because, look, the builder of the house always has more glory than the house. And so that's why I love in verse 4, in my Bible, verse 4 is in parentheses because it's a sub-point that the writer wants to make. He says, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And this verse made me think about baptisms. And this is my parentheses point right here, is that, you know, you can baptize somebody in any kind of water. And and people have made baptismal tanks. You know, I was just talking to a friend about how the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, when he got baptized, you kind of picture it as like some dirty puddle on the side of the road. You can get baptized in, in, in any body of water, but today we're baptizing people in the Pacific Ocean. And, you know, we do baptize people here in the church, and, and do you know what we use? We use a horse trough, a little horse trough. And look, a baptism, whether it's in a horse trough or an ocean or a puddle on the side of the road, is glorious. But no one would compare a puddle on the side of the road or, or a horse trough to the glory of the Pacific Ocean. You know, when you walked in and we had baptism, wow, look at that water. But with the ocean, it's just far more vast, far more glorious, far more deep and unknown and unfathomable. So so to compare Moses to Jesus would be like comparing a puddle on the side of the road or a horse trough to the Pacific Ocean, And by the way, when you're out there at the beach today and you're looking at all of the beautiful day, the sand and the water and the waves and the sky and the sun and everything, every animal or whatever is flying around and people getting baptized, somebody had to make all of that. God is the builder of all of that. He's worthy, isn't he? Of all glory, honor, and praise. All things were made by him and for him and through him. Jesus made the Pacific Ocean. Moses parted the Red Sea, but Jesus made the Red Sea. He's worthy of far more glory and honor. Now, again, I don't think I'm convincing anyone or need to convince anyone that Jesus is better than Moses. There might be someone in here where you needed to be convinced of that today, but, but the convincing point that I want to make this morning is search high and low, far and wide throughout all this earth. You'll never find anything better than Jesus. And so just to consider him as a half-hearted option, to sort of just tip your hat to Jesus rather than to give him all of your life, when it says consider Jesus, it's saying he wants all of you. And as we end here this morning, I want to reference two stories that happened in the Gospels with Jesus. The first one was called the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus took a few of his disciples up on this mountaintop, and while they were there, the disciples got a little bit sleepy. It seemed to be always the case. And in this moment, they sort of looked and they saw that Jesus was radiating with light. Like, 
And his clothes were radiant, like no bleach could ever bleach as white of how Jesus radiated with glory. And then there were two people that were seen there talking with Jesus. And and the Gospels tell us that it was Moses and Elijah who were there talking to Jesus. (laughs) And, And then Peter is like, wow, this is awesome. Let's make a few tents, have a little camp out. And, and in parentheses, it says, Peter didn't know what to say because he was afraid. And, and so he just, let's have a camp out. And then there was this cataclysmic, like, thundering of creation. And everyone, like, the disciples are freaking out. And then a voice, an audible voice is heard from heaven, and it was the Father speaking. And he said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And when they looked, only Jesus was standing there. Moses and Elijah were gone. The picture is, it's only Jesus that we listen to. He is the voice of God. He is the representative of God. Now, what had happened earlier in the life and ministry of Jesus, when in a similar way God spoke audibly from heaven, was at Jesus' baptism. Jesus got baptized. Let's just say this. If Jesus got baptized, then you should probably get baptized if you haven't been yet. And so when Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son, in him I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit came and descended upon him and rested on him like a dove, and then Jesus began his public ministry. So in those two instances, we see the Father saying about the Son, this is my Son, I'm pleased in him. He's saying like, this is my guy, listen to him. And so, have you heard the voice of Jesus? Have you heard the command of Matthew 28, 19 through 20 that says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the ages. Brothers and sisters, those of us who share in a heavenly calling, that is our confession. And I can't think of a better way to hold fast to our confidence, to, to boast in our hope, than to do what Jesus commanded his children to do in identifying with him, and that is to be baptized. To say in a tangible, invisible way, I'm a child of God. So if today you haven't been baptized, for whatever reason, Today you can be baptized. But before you get to baptism, maybe you've come up short of belief. And today you've heard the call from heaven. You've heard the call to heaven. You've heard Jesus speak to you in and through his word today. What you have heard today has convinced you to consider Jesus, to to, to really Give your life to him. And if today you want to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer right now for salvation. So join me as we pray. 
If today you want to receive Jesus as the only Lord and Savior of your life, just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner. And Jesus, I believe that you made a way for me to come into fellowship with you. You've invited me to heaven. You've invited me into your family. So by receiving you, Jesus, by believing that you died on the cross for my sin, you rose from the dead for me, I believe that is my way to you. So Jesus, I receive you. I want to receive your salvation today in Jesus' name. Is there anyone who prayed that prayer with me just now to receive salvation? We'd want to know it so we could come alongside you as a brother or sister in Christ. Is there anyone who prayed that prayer of salvation today? I see you right here, praise God. And I see you right over there, sweetie. Wonderful. Yeah. Anyone else here this morning who wants to receive Jesus as the one true Savior? All right, praise God. Well, welcome. What's your name? What is it? Elki. And what's your name over there, sweetheart? Rebecca? Okay, Elki and Rebecca. Welcome, two sisters, into the kingdom of God. Praise God. so good to be in this family and to see the work that God is doing of salvation. And I just pray that we can all go down together in a very public way and celebrate um, those proclamations of faith in Jesus. So head down to the beach at two o'clock today. But uh, in the meantime, we got a a few more songs of worship because Jesus is worthy of it, isn't he? Amen. Let's worship him.